Anyone who's familiar with the scriptures can readily assign the scriptures to the things that I'm saying. I am deliberately not spending the time to introduce and deconstruct the meaning of scripture in this particular message because that's not the mission. The mission is to make you aware of how the devil's schemes work against you and what are his opportunities based upon the nature of human being and how we may ultimately combat and overthrow and take back this domain from the devil. So it's not primarily a listing of scripture and for the purpose of studying scripture, but more an executive function. I recognize that that's the nature of this, uh, of this series of, of teachings. But I do want to introduce you to certain uh, passages of scripture in the process, because some of the things I'm saying represent genuinely new ground uh, to most people, because it's simply not how people have thought about the use of scripture. So when we think about demons, the angels who fell, and we think of them, uh, particularly the, the ones who are allowed to function between the second heaven that we talked about earlier and the earth, and those who occupy uh, the souls of people by capturing their emotions and living their own uh, nasty desires through the emotions of, the, of persons. Um, if you, if you, understanding who, uh, who and what these servants are, these, because they are all servants, even the ones who have not fallen, and in fact many more, two-thirds to one-third, two-thirds remained faithful, one-third fell. So those who are for us are many more than those who are against us. But what, what do they have the ability to affect where humans are concerned? Well first, we know they cannot affect the human spirit, we've already addressed that. They're not on the frequency of the human spirit. The human spirit is a derivative by, by uh, by endowment out of the very person of God. Angels were not designed as sons, they were designed as servants, to serve God, not to understand God, not to represent God except in their specific designed for tasks. So what are they designed to be able to understand about the humans? Well, their function is to provide Uh, specific service to the human soul and to the human body in some instances. At the end of the temptations of Jesus in Matthew 4, when he's coming out of the wilderness, verse 11 says, and then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The word angel is the word angelos, 
and it means messengers. Now there are certain kinds of messengers, angelos, who are humans, we're not talking about those, um, where there are certain kinds of angels who ascend and descend, it means they start on the earth, they go to heaven, receive the mail as it were from heaven and deliver it back, a kind of apostolos. In that sense and in that encompassing sense of, of angelos, humans may be angels, two of them were John and Paul. Uh, John um, on the island of Patmos, suddenly invited to heaven, Paul, I know a man fourteen years ago who was caught up to the third heavens. But they're creatures of the heavens who come from heaven, they descend from heaven, they return to heaven, Michael did that, uh, Gabriel did that, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven, Jesus said, so the origin of that type of messenger or angelos is heaven. So when it says, the devil left him and angels came and ministered to him. I'm not exactly sure as to the capacity in which they ministered to him, such as did they bring food for him, because by then he would be hungry, although he didn't indicate he needed food, but certainly comfort, comfort to the soul. Uh, when Jesus was born, angels came to herald his existence by speaking of the scriptures to mankind, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men, citing the scriptures, encouraging the human soul to accept a thing that had come from the heavens quoting in fact from Isaiah 53, his, uh, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom, of the increase of His government and of peace there shall be no end. And they sang the song of the Scriptures that says, Peace on earth, God's goodwill toward men, for unto us is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord, and so on, and they brought a prophetic sign. So clearly one of their functions is, one of their design functions is to minister to the soul. None of those functionings of angels was, in the announcement of the birth of Christ, was to the body. But it can be to the body. For when men attacked Jesus to arrest him, he said to Peter, and I quoted this earlier, put up your sword. Do you not understand, do you not suppose that I can call down not an angel to help me, but legions of angels to defend me? An angel came and led Peter and John out of the prison in Acts 4, and they woke up and they were outside the prison, but they were led out by an angel. So angels can play a critical function in the uh, protection of the human body 
from other human beings and especially from the demonic. So the array of those who are for us vastly outnumber and vastly outpower those who are against us. I think I'm laying up here now some of the things I'll draw down upon when it comes to evicting evil spirits out of the soul's emotions where they capture people. So, but the point is, they do understand the soul. They were not created to understand the spirit, otherwise they'd be like the sons. And they would not think of their tasks as performing, they would not think of their existence as performing tasks for their reward or occupying positions for their identity, they would think of representing God. That's how they would be configured. They were not configured that way, so their design limitations is altogether, uh, altogether apparent and evident. But that said, and moving on, because they understand the human soul, and because they're able to motivate other human beings as actors against us, that's the place of the residence of their strength and their power against us. So, when in your environment you take in things through the five senses, and those things have as actors to them other human beings, if the enemy in fact controls these other human beings, the emotions that are stirred in you are the emotions consistent with the thing the enemy wishes to put into you by way of how you subsequently interpret anything that brings back those emotions. So if fear is a dominant emotion surrounding the activities of other human beings regarding you and representing how the emotion is stirred through an impulse taken in, say, through a sense of touch. The demonic is able to assign uh, an emotion to that so that whenever that emotion is kindled again in you by circumstances that may not relate directly to the original circumstances that, that tagged that emotion in you, you are thinking and predisposed to acting in the same way. So if, for example, um, well, let's start giving real examples here. Often people feel strangled, they have a feeling of being like they're drowning. In fact, I was very recently um, helping someone to overcome a certain blockage and the person was telling me about this, this sensation of being smothered. Uh, all of a sudden when things happen, when, he, when he's in an environment where people remind him 
He's not, he wasn't even aware that it was the people who were reminding him or what they were reminding him of, that certain people, he said, just aggravate me in a certain way. And I have this sense that they're strangling me and, and I, want to, I want to push back, I want to push, I want to protect myself because that emotion comes up and, he's, and, and the person said, I hate it when I do that, but it's on me before I know it. Well, I was talking to the person's mother. In fact, I, I said to the person's mother, tell me, was there any kind of thing like uh, an umbilical cord wrapped around the neck of this person when he was in your womb? She said, no, it wasn't that. It was that he was stuck in the birth canal and he was face down and they couldn't get to him for three, they couldn't bring him out for three hours. I was in labor with him in that position for three hours. And I said, well, it's obvious. That's the emotion that was one of the baseline emotions of his soul. That whenever in his present life, this is a man in his 40s, uh, in, in, in his life at the present, whenever relationships that he's involved with, business relationships, people on the highway, driving, whatever, stir that emotion again. He doesn't even know where the emotion came from, but it produces, it reproduces that emotion and suddenly he is in that condition without any knowledge as to what the thing is that he's in and even less knowledge as to how to get out of it. If things happen in your normal life that you can remember, those, the, the emotions that are stirred that capture you and take you back, they don't capture and take you back in your present state, they never do. You go back to the place where you were when that emotion initially was planted in your soul. Now, some of these emotions are activated in you as an adult and you can remember them. Others of these emotions are activated in you from the womb and you don't know how they got there. Let me give you from Scripture, the, the truth of that. Because I'm one of these very practical people, if, if I can't see it in the Scriptures, I can't believe it. I'm not saying that it wouldn't be true, but especially where you're, you're hearing extreme assertions of things like, emotions that come to you in the womb, that seems to 
touchy-feely, seems too ephemeral, too unsubstantial to base anything on. Say, so I, I have to see it in the scriptures. Well, the example that jumps to mind immediately, and it's not the only example, but it's the one that comes to my mind immediately, is John the Baptist in his mother's womb. Why would the scriptures go to the trouble of recording for us that the baby leapt in the womb? It wasn't just kicking around because it was wanting to position itself differently in the womb or just automatically moving around as babies do in the womb. The Bible took the time and focused to tell us that in a specific instance, John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb. So look back now, (coughs) we know the narrative of what's happening outside of the womb. Mary, who had been visited by an angel days before, visited by Gabriel, the same angel that came to tell Zechariah, the husband of Mary, that Mary was going to be with child, had come also to to Mary, I mean Elizabeth, I'm sorry. The same angel that had come to Mary had come to Zechariah, the husband of Elizabeth, to tell Zechariah that uh, his wife Elizabeth would be with child. That same angel had come to Mary, that's the angel Gabriel, and told Mary that Mary would be having a child and offered Mary proof by saying to her, your cousin Elizabeth is with child and that child is going to have a specific role announcing your child. So Mary goes up, now go up and see her, uh, Gabriel instructed, and Mary went up to see Elizabeth. When she came to see Elizabeth, the story was that Zechariah had been struck dumb from the day he saw the angel and that the angel told him to the present day when Mary went up to see Elizabeth. Now obviously, uh, Zechariah could communicate. When he came out of the sanctuary where he was offering the evening sacrifice, everyone concluded that Zechariah had seen an angel. Mary comes and tells Elizabeth that she also had a visit from an angel telling her about a son she was going to have. This was the word of confirmation to Elizabeth. Elizabeth had her confirmation that her child was in fact announced by an angel to her husband Zechariah and that her child would have a destiny intricately connected to Mary's child. The wave of confirmation struck Elizabeth. The joy both of the purpose for her son and the circumstances that her husband had been told 
surrounding the, the coming of the sun, the wave of that joy struck Elizabeth and traveled down the umbilical cord into the soul of John the Baptist in his mother's womb. The event occurred when Mary and Elizabeth were standing within speaking distance, within easy speaking distance of each other. A likely inference is they were face to face and close. John leapt in his mother's womb in the presence of Jesus whose mother had brought him up there in that fetal condition. John was, uh, was uh, six months older than Jesus. So I don't know if Mary was, I don't know how, how many months Mary was pregnant by then, but there's a difference of six months between the ages of John and Jesus. Now, the baby leapt in the womb. An emotion was transferred from the mother by the umbilical cord into the soul of the fetus, of the child in the womb, and it became one of the foundational emotions of this child because it had occurred so early in time. Hmm? Now, 30 years later, 30 years later, Jesus and John meet each other again. This time, John was baptizing in the river Jordan. Jesus approaches John asking him to baptize him. And John said, I need to be baptized by you. These are the first words Jesus ever said or John ever said to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. And then Jesus said, no, it becomes you and me to fulfill the requirements of righteousness. You are the priest, I am the sacrifice. You need to examine me and, and declare that I am without spot, wrinkle or blemish and then you need to baptize me because the priest needs to wash the sacrifice before the sacrifice is offered. And John was a qualified Levitical priest, qualified to offer the sacrifices. Like his father, he was of that rank. Now the question is, how did Jesus, how did John know to say what he said to Jesus? Why are you coming to me to be baptized? I need to be baptized by you. Was it just a moment of humility? Did he say that to anybody else? Was it, what was going on? Now normally the way we read the narrative is to say that Jesus, John saw Jesus coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as Jesus comes now in proximity to John, John and says, baptize me, John says to him, I, I need to be baptized by you. That's not what happened. John later said, I would not have known him 
except that the one who sent me to baptize said that the one on whom you see the Holy Spirit descend and remain, he it is who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. When did John see the Holy Spirit come down on Jesus? Before or after he baptized him? Well, the narrative is very clear. It says, and when Jesus had come up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And a voice spoke out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, it was clearly after the fact that John saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus. He didn't know who he was before he baptized him. When did he say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? When did John say that about Jesus? It was 41 days later because immediately Jesus went up from where John was baptizing, he went up into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was there for 40 days. Now the wilderness is not like a place that has multiple trails going up into it. So he came back out of the wilderness by the same path he took going up into it. When he came out of the wilderness, he was right back at where he was when he departed and John was still there, still baptizing people. As Jesus walked by, The next day Jesus walked by, as he was going by coming out of the wilderness. That's when John saw him, that's when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So what happened to John? Why did he say, I need to be baptized by you? The answer is, thirty years later, when the two of them met again, This time, not in their mother's wombs, but as grown men standing in their respective places in the Jordan, John had exactly the same emotion. Jesus' presence triggered exactly the same emotion in John that he had as an infant in his mother's womb thirty years earlier. And that's why he said what he said. He had no prior knowledge as to who Jesus was. What is my point? That things that happen to you in the womb can predispose your behavior thirty years later without you having a clue as to why you're saying what you're saying, why you're thinking what you're thinking, why you're acting the way you're acting. The emotion, whenever it occurs in your adult life, good or bad, demonically interpreted or divinely interpreted, will take you back to the first place you were when these emotions were stirred and became part of your soul's reality, even if you were in the womb.